Okay, for the sake of the recording, <laughs> we're, we're talking about Lesson 2, the Doctrine of Preservation of Scripture. And uh, um, Edward F. Hills is talking about the assurance that we have um, of salvation is dependent upon these three things. The number one is, that, is the infallibility I have another marker that is around here somewhere. Yeah. Oh, here's the mother low right here. Here we go. I got it. Okay, good. The infallibility. Infallible inspiration of Scripture. And secondly, the eternal origin of the scriptures. And thirdly, the providential preservation. If you look at the New Testament, Jesus refers to the scriptures as being written. He recognizes Moses, David, and Daniel as having written the scriptures. <clears throat> he um, and so right there, what does that what does that tell us? So if you look at Mark uh, Mark chapter twelve verse twenty six, he refers to Moses. Moses, you know, has has said this. Um, Luke twenty forty two refers to David as having said a certain passage of scripture, and Daniel uh, later in Matthew twenty four verse fifteen. What does that tell us about what Jesus thought of the scriptures? Yeah, they're true. They were uh, the very word of God. And that they were preserved. Now, this is not, you know, what's, <clears throat> unless you're around liberals, <clears throat> you probably, um, when, I, when I'm talking about academic liberals, you're probably not very accustomed to people, people's theories about the Old Testament. They'll say, oh, you know, the, the Torah has, you know, five authors, <laughs> not one, not Moses. Uh, and it was written much, much later. They usually like to take the scriptures and say, oh, it was written much later. It was tainted. It has all these revisions. It has, you know, um, you know, John, the book of John was not written by John, but somebody later. Um, and uh, <clears throat> they, they like to do that. What's an, another thing that they like to do? Like, for example, um, the uh, have you ever heard of the I think it's called the Jesus Seminar, <clears throat> where they all get around and they like to analyze the words of the gospel and say, uh, they give it a score, like each verse will go through and they'll score each verse and they say, uh, this has a certain probability of being written by Jesus. 
you know, in this passage, oh, it definitely was not written by Jesus or not, not said by him. Um, and so what does this passage say that Jesus believed about the Old Testament? It really was said by Moses, by David, by Daniel. These are words that are written, um, that, are, that have been preserved. They haven't been tainted by some other uh, scribe or, or author. Um, <clears throat> let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 12, verse 26, where he's Jesus's. He's, I believe, arguing with the Sadducees over the resurrection. So he says, And touching the dead that they rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and, uh, and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. So what is his argument all based upon? Book of Moses. And what is he saying specifically about that exchange in the bush? What's that? The word of God. Yeah, so he definitely believes that 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 exchange, you know, in the book of Moses is genuinely the word of God. But his argument hinges on something. He's making a point that Moses... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, were still living at the time Moses was exchanging that conversation, you know, 400 years later. So here Mo, Moses is on um, Mount Sinai, and he's having this dialogue with God, and he says, I am the God of the living, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's trying to say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had resurrected and were still living at the time that he was talking with, with Moses. What is, how does he hang the, the whole argument? What's that based upon? Just the verb, am, I, I am. So, not I was. See, if, if there was no resurrection, what would God have to say? I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what does he say? I, I am the God of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac. In other words, they're still around. I, I am their God. <laughs> and yeah, go ahead. Do you mean the spiritual resurrection? That they're alive in God's presence? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just to be clear. Yes. Not the not the future, you know, yes. glorif- not their future glorification, but the spiritual resurrection. You mean that, yeah, they're, they were yes. alive in God's presence. Right. Right. Exactly. So what does that say about Jesus when he made, can stand a, an entire argument on the verb tense of a verb in, in Hebrew? What, is, what does that tell you about what Jesus thinks the about? The details are 
that even the details can be, that you can depend your entire argument on whether you believe on the resurrection or not on the details of one word in the scriptures. That's pretty powerful. Um, uh, so that's, um, that's one thing. Jesus also referred to the Old Testament writings as a unified work called the scriptures. So we see, um, we see that oftentimes. Uh, Jesus believed the scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit in Mark chapter 12, verse 36, which is what I just read. Um, no, a little bit further on. For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So here he is saying David said those words, that he penned them in the Psalms by the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus believed not one jot or tittle could pass from the law. We'll get into that. That's Matthew 5.18 um, a little bit later. Uh, I'll be talking about what a jot and a tittle is. Um, Jesus believed the scriptures were authoritative because he used the word in, in, um, in his temptation with Satan in the wilderness. What would he say oftentimes in re- response to Satan? What would he say? It is written. It is written. That's right. So what is Jesus saying? It is written. That means it, is, it has authority. It has truth. Um, in um, in Second Timothy three sixteen, Paul teaches us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. In Second Peter uh, chapter one verse twenty to twenty one, men um, uh, Peter says, "But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." And then John chapter fourteen verse twenty six. In John chapter 16, verse 12 and 13, Jesus promised the disciples that the Holy Spirit would supernaturally, quote, bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. Have you ever wondered how, how the New Testament was, a, how the writers of the uh, New Testament were able to, re, to recall all the words that Jesus had to say? Did they have papyrus and, and styluses <laughs> with ink as they followed along with their teacher um, listening to, to his things? No, uh, they didn't. They weren't, um, uh, they didn't have laptops and were like transcribing everything he had to say. What, is, what does this verse say? That the Holy Spirit gave them supernatural recall to be able to write down word by word, everything that needed to be written for our benefit um, in the New Testament. Um, So he would bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 2, 1 through 3, the writer of Hebrews declares that our salvation, which began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, but uh, or God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. <clears throat> so 
what that says there is that the word of God, as it was being spoken, was what? It was confirmed as they were speaking it, as they were writing it. The apostles' words were confirmed with what? With miracles. Um, And then uh, John asserts the authority of his own revelation with a curse against those who would later, uh, who would edit or um, would revise it or, or make any changes to it. In Revelations 22, 18 to 19, it's the very end of, of Revelations. So that's, that is some of the scriptural evidence that infalli- the scriptures are infallible. Um, now let's look at the eternal origin of scripture. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken of myself. This is John 12. It sounds like my my microphone's dead. Oh, yeah. It, it may have. Um, it looks like the, the speaker systems in here have a lot of feedback. Yeah. Test. That's what killed Sorry. It was like all the way up. Oh, turn it, yeah, turn it down to like a one or something, one or two. Three. Three. Is that one controlling this? That's weird. That's really weird. Because <laughs> it almost seems like that is controlling these as well. So that's kind of weird. Okay, I think it's okay right now. It's good that they were turned down. I think you could hear a lot of the hum from that one. <clears throat> okay, technical issues here. Okay, verse 49 of John chapter 12 says this, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me gave me a commandment that I should say and that I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So what is this telling us about the words that Jesus gave us? They were also from the Father. Um, he is one of the one of his offices is what a prophet. He's a prophet, priest, and king, and so we can trust in the eternal origins of the scriptures because John, uh, Jesus um, was a prophet. Uh, if you skip a couple um, chapters down to chapter seventeen. Verse 18, he says, As thou sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Now we'll get into a little bit later about the Great Commission and how he's present with us um, uh, a little bit later. I think that might be what that is referring to. Um, then we have Psalms 119.89 says, Even... Um, even states this, for ever, O Lord, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. 
So the scriptures, being perfect truth, reflect a portion of God's divine mind and his eternal truth. Um, We don't know everything that God knows, but we know a portion of it, and we know it to be the truth because it is um, from him, and it is his divine mind, a portion of that. Um, Now we get into the the last... thing that Edward uh, or Edward F. Hills uh, refers to as a, a basis of our assurance, and that is that God has preserved the scriptures providentially. The Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, we read this uh, chapter 1, section 8, says that the word of God is kept pure, <clears throat> both in the Old and New Testament and the original languages. Um, and Matthew 5:18, uh, which we referenced a little bit, Jesus says um, talks about a jot and a tittle. So let's go look at Matthew. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. This is also in Luke 16:17. So let's turn to Matthew 5:18. It says, "For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass." One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So a jot, and I, I referred to this in the, uh, I think in the glossary, yeah, there's a, a jot as a Hebrew letter. Yod, for example, the letter Yod, which is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, um, is just a small, um, it's, like a, it's like an apostrophe. Um, it looks, yeah, a tittle is even smaller. It is an extension of a stroke that, of like a, a horizontal line in a, in a Hebrew Aramaic letter. And that just the, the extension of it past a certain point makes it a different letter from another letter um, uh, distinguishable. And so that tittle is very small. And Jesus is saying um, none of these little details are going to, to pass uh, from the word of God. Um, it's an extension or a stroke of a stroke that differentiates one, one Hebrew letter from another. <clears throat> so what is Jesus telling us about the Hebrew Old Testament? Now, you may not know this, but a jot and a tittle did not exist in the time that the Torah was written by Moses. Well, why is that? Well, Old Hebrew does not have jot and tittles. Jot and tittles is Aramaic. Okay, And uh, we'll get into this next, next week when we talk about the pre- God's pre- providential preservation of the Old Testament. But um, around the time when uh, Israel was taken into captivity, uh, into, uh, um, into Babylonia, um, they started to speak the language which was uh, Aramaic um, because they had to. They had to get along somehow with their captors and they began to, to speak their language. And they, there's a sister language to Hebrew as Aramaic, but the letter style is a little bit different. Okay? And eventually, um, Old Hebrew, which was an, another lettering style, um, they began to take the letters of the Hebrew and trans and replace them with the, the equivalent uh, letters 
in Aramaic. And they began to adopt Aramaic as the lettering style. And Ezra uh, began to do this. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in detail on this next week. But my point being is, what is Jesus really referring to? He's referring to uh, not the original manuscripts, but the copies. The, not what we call the autographs, but the apographs. And uh, I have a definition there of what an autograph and an apograph is. And an autograph is the inspired original of a given book or letter in the Bible. But an apograph, apograph is a copy of the original in the original language made by a copyist. Okay. And so what Jesus is saying here is that these copies that were made by Ezra, not one jot or tittle will be uh, will drop from those those copies that were made um, by Ezra of Moses. <clears throat> so notice that that encompasses how is that going to happen? Only by God's providential supernatural work, God's providential preservation of the scriptures. Then Jesus goes a little bit further. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, he not only refers to the Old Testament, but his own words. Uh, Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Verse 35. Heaven and, and this is very similar to the, what he says about the Old Testament. He says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. My words. So he's putting his words in the same category as scripture here. And saying God's going to supernaturally preserve my words. Um, then turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. The Great Commission. It's not um, a very, you know, under, uh, known by all of you probably many times you've read this. Uh, verse 18, chapter 28, verse 18 of Matthew says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, <clears throat> baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to preserve, to observe all things whosoever I commanded you. Whatsoever, I'm sorry, I have commanded you. <clears throat> and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So the primary at, uh, um, in, uh, in imperative verb here is not go. It's to disciple. And so his imperative here is to disciple the nations. And how are we to disciple the nations? With his words. Go teach them whatever I have commanded. Okay. Which is the scriptures. And he says that he is going to be with us, doing that work with us through the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot make a disciple without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must accompany the scriptures, the word of God, 
And he is with us, and he's promised to be with us as we fulfill his commission to disciple the nations. And, and so, you know, my, my point in all of that is that he is, how can he do that without a Bible that is providentially preserved? If it has become corrupted, then it is not his words anymore. And it may not be his commands. And he may, we may not be discipling people as we ought. But if they really are his words, then he's promised that he will be with us and he will providentially preserve those words so that we can fulfill his great commission to disciple the nations. And he has promised us his words will not fail. His words will not drop from the scriptures. They will not drop into obscurity or be distorted or be destroyed. So we get down into this whole issue of autographs and opographs. Uh, As I explained, autographs are the inspired original of a given book or letter in the Bible, and the opographs are the faithful copy of an original in the original language by a copyist. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, uses the word infallible. Let me write this down here. Infallible authority and inspired. the autographs and the autographs of scripture. However, you will never see the word inerrancy. Why? If you go to every any, any church um, and you go to, uh, if they're conservative, you will see a statement of faith and usually you see a statement in there, at least one bullet point in there that says we believe in the what? Inerrancy of scripture. Okay. Well, Theodore Letus in this book, um, this is actually a collection of his, uh, Theodore Letus is a a, a relatively recent um, Lutheran theologian who died, did he die of cancer? Uh, Early in age. Um, The Lord cut his ministry short um, to our detriment. Uh, I I wish we had more of his writings, but um, we have a collection of his essays. Very well done. Very well done. And in it, he has an article called um, "The Protestant Orthodoxy: The uh, From Protestant Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Equivocation." Um, I'm sorry. It starts out the language of biblical authority from Protestant Orthodoxy, um, uh, the Evangelical Equivocation. Anyways, that's the, the article name. He makes the point that when the writers of the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith used the word infallible, they clearly had in scope 
And this is a quote from his his article, the extent addition then in use of the church at the time of the Reformation, or at the time the Westminster divines were, were writing the Westminster Confession of Faith. which is the autographs, not the autographs. <clears throat> so when they said it was kept pure, they, he, he's basically saying that <clears throat> the writers, <clears throat> the <clears throat> Protestants, will always believed that the autographs were preserved providentially. He then goes on to explain the development of the word inerrant. It was used in the 1650s to describe, it was an astronomical term, to describe the stars as being fixed in their relative placement in the sky versus the movement of the planets. Its first use in religious context was not until 1865, and it, it was in reference to the Pope. As soon as it is used as a theological term to describe the scriptures, its scope is limited to the original autographs, not the autographs. Um, so we'll, we will return to the history behind this switch from infallible to inerrancy. However, it is worth stating now that B.B. Warfield, influenced by German biblical criticism, led the way in bringing the critical text into acceptance within the conservative church in America. He did so by offering up a new interpretation of Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, verse 8, kept pure. He claimed that God was keeping the text pure by restoring the text to us through enlightened scientific criticism. Notice the switch. The writers of the Westminster Confession of Faith says God has kept the Bible pure, what, in all ages. In all ages. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal onto them. Warfield says God has kept the Bible pure somewhere, but the church has not had access to it. She must find it using enlightened scientific discovery. Obviously, Warfield's interpretation is faulty because the writers of the Westminster Confession of Faith were not thinking of a future church that could appeal to them, but the church in all ages could appeal to the scriptures. So his, his redefinition of Westminster Confession of Faith does not hold water at all. So my conclusion is this. Um, Yes, there are imposters. We know uh, when I talk about imposters, I mean texts that are not that have been tainted. We know that Satan has attacked God's word as early as his first words to Eve in the garden. Hath God said, "Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden." What was Satan doing there? Attacking, twisting what God's word. <clears throat> Satan has been attacking God's word from the beginning. Modern critical text, which forms the foundation of most modern English translations, grew out of the secular unbelieving enlightenment and scientific modernism of the late 19th century. The modern critical text has been constructed by those who deny the Protestant doctrine of the preservation of scripture. Contrary to those 
who promote the modern critical text, we affirm the infallibility of the original autographs and apographs because we trust in Jesus' promise that heaven and earth shall not pass away or shall shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And that's Matthew 14, 35. And the passage in the uh, the Great Commission, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, not without his word. Now let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us. We pray that you will be with us as we worship uh, this morning. Um, we thank you, Lord, that we can hear your word preached. We thank you that uh, we have a, a pastor who faithfully opens the word to us. We pray that you would sanctify us, that you would disciple us with your words this morning. And help us to grow in our appreciation of your providence in preserving to us your word. In Jesus' name, amen.